life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whomever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raised him up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. How well do you know Jesus? Today's scripture reading tells us a great deal about him. He is the bread of life, supplying us with life's necessities. He is faithful. If we come to him for salvation, he will not deny or forsake us, but gives us with the promise of resurrection and eternal life. All of this is without cost to us. It is Jesus who paid the price because of God's great love for us. One day he will come again to claim all who have placed their faith in him. His greatest desire is that all here this morning would hear his invitation to come and follow him through this life and throughout eternity. He is truly the bread of life. Trust in him, and you will never hunger again. I want to be in special prayer for all those who are traveling, uh, both uh, from our congregation going to other places. I, I know some uh, who've uh, left for uh, Pennsylvania were telling me this week, and others uh, who are going to various places. But also... Uh, for those who may be traveling in, family members who haven't gotten here yet, uh, we have our son coming from uh, Colorado uh, with his boys, and uh, the uh, uh, you know this is a time of year that can be very stressful in that regard. So uh, let's keep everybody in prayers who who are traveling, and also uh, remember our nation and all the all the various things that are going on um, in Washington D.C. and beyond. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we pray for all those families, for all those couples. Father, during a sometimes very stressful uh, season when our eyes can uh, be fixed on the wrong things and our hearts, Father, can uh, uh, become very stressed, we just pray during this time for peace and family uh, relationships. Father, we pray that, uh, that when Christmas Day comes, it won't simply be about opening uh, gifts from each other, but remembering the greatest gift of all, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and now pray together as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And amen. Well, today we're talking about bread. And uh, I like bread. I don't know about you. I've I've noted when I've gone to other countries, uh, when we were in Israel once... um, uh, there was a, uh, we were camping out in the Negev desert and a guy was telling stories and they were baking bread 
uh, on these uh, uh, overturned uh, bowls, metal bowls, over the fire coals, and they were making this flatbread. And then once the flatbread was done, uh, they would pick up the flatbread and then pass it th- uh, around the circle, and everybody would take pieces, and we would just eat, uh, continuing to pass the bread. Of course, nobody... Uh, uh, did any bacterial soap on their uh, hands before we did that. It didn't seem to matter. Uh, this is very common in other cultures and countries. Uh, I remember in Haiti, when the, um, uh, uh, whenever you were sitting with any of the workers and they had bread, they were eating some bread, they would always offer you some of the bread. So uh, we, we live in a very uh, different culture in regards to bread. Uh, when I think of bread here, I think of Wonder Bread when I was a kid, that wonderful white bread that you could smash down with your fingers and get it really. I, I don't know why that made it taste better, but it did. Do you know Wonder Bread had those uh, 12? Uh, at first it was eight, and then they changed their advertising to 12 ways uh, that it would grow a stronger body. So uh, if you ate our bread, you would be stronger. And uh, what it was were the things... Uh, uh, that they added into the bread that the government required them to add into the white bread because the white flour had been so processed that all the natural things, nutrients, had been washed out of it. And so they had to put it back in. But then they took credit for that and said, well, our bread helps you grow, you know, stronger because we have all these things in it that really we took out of it in the beginning. But anyways, my mom used to buy Wonder Bread. I, I, I loved Wonder, Wonder Bread. It was one of the first sliced breads that was available in stores where they would slice the bread thin for you uh, pre-slicing. Did you know that during, I hate to, that during World War II, they stopped slicing the bread? Do you know why? All the steel was needed for the war effort. And so they weren't going to have blades for cutting bread in the, in the bread factory, so they took the blades away from them uh, used them in the war effort. Can you imagine a time in this country where we would sacrifice? I mean, that's just a very small instance. The way they would sacrifice back then. Would we go without sliced bread? I think not. We would. So. Uh, the other thing about uh, the bread uh, is that today, mainly when we think of bread, we think of it in a very negative way in our culture because bread is seen as that thing that we have to avoid. Many, many diets out there are based upon not eating bread, no carbs, the no-carb diets. Uh, Wonder Bread did help you grow in 12 different ways, you know, <laughs> mainly in this area. To some, bread is simply something that you use to hold your sandwich together uh, or a side item to go along with the main meal to sop up the gravy or to push your rice around. Uh, American children tear the crust from the bread before eating it. That drives me crazy. I, I, I reach over when they're not looking. I take the crust. Same on the pizza. Same thing. Bread in our modern Western culture is not really seen as a necessity. One could function quite easily without bread in America. But not so in biblical days. At the very center of life during the times of Jesus and earlier stood those stalks of grain that carried men and women from day to day. Without bread, there was no life. I don't think it's an accident that the most famous prayer the Western world begins after you have those, those uh, lofty words of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what? Give us, give us our daily bread. I mean, we come from heaven down to daily bread. Uh, bread was essential. And bread was seen as the giving of life. 
We pray, give us our daily bread. We're praying, give us life one day at a time. It seems that sometimes the simplest things in the Bible often convey the deepest truths. It is those very things which we in our 21st century America often quickly write off as insignificant or secondary that can open the door to the great spiritual truths of which Jesus spoke. Now, for several weeks, we've been looking at the uh, great I am statements of the Gospel of John, uh, statements by Jesus uh, where he declares, this is who I am. And because we're, we're just a couple of days from the day we celebrate his birth, it's important to ask, uh, you know, what is the gift here? Uh, a moment ago, Rhonda opened that gift, and the box said it was something, but inside it was something totally different. And a lot of us, we see all the wrappings of Christmas, and so we make a lot of assumptions about what Christmas is about through the wrappings. But we never look inside to see what, who Jesus really was. And he isn't just that child in the manger, but Jesus says, I am these things. Eight different times in the Gospel of John, he declares, I am. He says, I am the light. He's the light in the darkness. He says, I am the gate by which the sheep enter the pen. I'm the, the gate to security where you will be safe. I'm the shepherd who guides. I'm the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. In every one of these, we see Jesus wanting us to receive him, not for the gifts he can bring us, but what he can be for us, for what he can be for us. Right after the feeding of the 5,000 in the sixth chapter of John, where we are today, Jesus made this I am statement. He said, I am the bread of life. They've just consumed all this bread, but he says, I am the bread of life. And we'll see the reactions to that in just a moment. This was the point in John's gospel where Jesus had reached the very apex of his popularity. It's an interesting uh, uh, chapter to read there, chapter 6. Jesus has, has recently uh, healed a man, and now he has fed the 5,000. And the, and, and the crowds want to take him by force, if necessary, and make him their king. And because of this, Jesus crosses the lake, the Sea of Galilee. It's really just a lake. Uh, calling it a sea is a little bit, bit of an uh, overstretch. And he, he crosses over to get away from their demands. But then the next day, the crowds figure out where he is. They're searching all over for him. You see, it's, it's, it's time for uh, the Passover in Jerusalem, and people are traveling through the country, and the country is crowded with pilgrims coming and going. And so these crowds are great, and they've heard about this Jesus, and, and, and they, they find him. Uh, they're desperate to find him. It was at this point that Jesus told this massive crowd of many thousands, many whom had, he had just miraculously provided a meal for the day before. It's when he says, I am the bread of life, John six thirty five. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. According to John chapter 6, in reaction to this, the crowd grumbles. They murmur, they mumble, they argue, they whine, and ultimately they leave in droves. The text gives us some clues as to the kind of people that leave Jesus behind when he started talking about himself as the bread of life. The first group that it identifies are the materialistic folks. There aren't any such folks among us, are they? We we are not materialistic at all in our culture. But they just couldn't stomach it when Jesus 
change the topic from physical food to spiritual. Have you ever been around folks who roll their eyes when the conversation suddenly gets spiritual? As if to say, wow, this person is detached from reality. Let's talk about things we can touch. Let's talk about reality here. So many of those people who follow Jesus at this point, they were asking for something a little bit more immediate, a little bit more earthbound. They wanted a political savior. They wanted political solutions and free handouts and material goodies. For them, Jesus was the latest and greatest gravy train in a long line of gravy trains, uh, possible messiahs, uh, military leaders who would overthrow, uh, overthrow Rome or whatever nation happened to be. Uh, uh, occupying them at the time. These people had watched Rome have limited success by instituting a sort of welfare program that they called Bread for Peace. There were many hungry, jobless, homeless people in Rome. So the government tried to avoid riots, specifically food riots, by buying them off with goodies. Well, The plan backfired because the demands of the crowd simply grew and grew, and they were never satisfied with what the government gave them. Well, Jesus knew that he faced a similar problem the day after he fed the masses with barley cakes and salt-dried fish. In fact, when the crowd arrived, look at how he greets them in John chapter 6, verse 26. He says, (laughs) the big crowd has just arrived, and he's standing there, and he says to them, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves And had your fill. You've come for me to feed you. Your stomachs. Jesus knew what they had come for. They weren't coming because he had given them signs of the kingdom of heaven. They were not coming because he had given them signs of what that kingdom is all about. And who he was. But they were coming because they were looking for another meal. Missionaries in third world countries often talk about rice Christians. Those are are the people who will come for the rice that's being handed out by the missionaries. And they may stay around for a worship service, but once the rice has run out, they disappear. We have a similar thing happens in this country. People who may come um, uh, very often, I have to tell you, very often when we assist people, and this isn't judgment upon them. Uh, Many people come to us and they are in desperate need. But very often they they sort of feel the necessity of saying to me, saying, you know... uh, Uh, what time is your church service on Sunday? Uh, As if to say, we'd like to come to your church service on Sunday. Very seldom over the years have I seen those folks actually show up to church. They they feel somehow a little bit of a sense of guilt for taking without giving back by not being present at the church. I understand that. In In our society, we have a lot of people who come to God looking for what he can give them. What can you give me? And they're not so interested in the spiritual part of it. And that's what Jesus confronted that day. So he tells the materialists in the crowd, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. God has placed his seal of approval on me. Come looking for that which lasts, not for that which will only satisfy your hunger for a day. And then there were the legalists. They asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What what do we have to do differently so that we can be approved of God? They wanted a list of rules that they could hang on to. 
Religion by its very nature seems to draw people who are actually looking for a dominating charismatic leader to call the shots and to take over their lives. Have you ever noticed that? Leaders who amass great crowds and followers. Followers who are looking for someone who can give them the answer, who can set the rules, who can show them the way. The message of Jesus with his emphasis on grace and love and a dependence on God rather than self did not go over well with these legalists. Throughout Christian history, the church has often fallen into that sin of legalism. The problem is it's easier to make rules than to build relationships. Uh, My friend friend Greg West, who uh, prayed for his daughter this morning, Evie, uh, I remember something Greg said. We were in ministry together at a church. We were both pastors there. Uh, Greg said, the greater the relationship, the fewer the rules. The greater the relationship, the fewer the rules. If you're in a family that that has a great relationship where, where love is dominating, you find that you don't have to make a lot of rules. And it's true in the church, and it was true with Jesus. And what Jesus said was, I want you to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that fulfills everything. I don't have to make any other rules. If you do that, what other rules do you need? We don't have, I haven't published a list of do's and don'ts for Verona United Methodist Church. We have, I'm thinking, I've thought about doing it, but, um, but I realize the futility in doing that. Right now, the United Methodist Church, like many denominations, we have a set of rules. We call ours the Book of Discipline, and we want to try and follow those rules. But what you find is, over time, is that we are really great me and everybody else, we are really great at finding the loopholes in the rules or in ignoring the rules and then having come up with rules that state clearer what it is we were trying to say in the first place so that people won't ignore the rules. And we battle over the rules, and so relationships are fractured rather than built up because of the rules. That's the kind of people, some of the people who were there with Jesus. And so Jesus replies to him when they said, what do we have to do? What, give us the list. Give us, uh, you know, we have ten commandments. Give us a thousand. We just want to know what do we have to do, and then we'll follow that list to the letter. And he said, here's, here's, here's what I tell you. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. John six twenty nine. Believe in the one he has sent. Have faith. Trust in me. That is the work that you must do. He didn't give them any other rules. He didn't give them the list that they were seeking. Jesus wanted a love relationship with us. That kind of relationship can't be bought with goodies, and it can't be built on rules. The materialists wanted the goodies more than they wanted God. The legalists wanted the law, but not the giver of the law. They rejected Jesus as a replacement for the rules of the religion of that day. And then there was one more group, the last group here. They were the sensationalists. You may know some of those folks. You may be one of those folks. All of us, to some degree, I think, belong to all three of these groups. These people ask Jesus this absurd question, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? We want a sign. You remember in um, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, which uh, was a, a musical and then a movie, and then I think last year they had, it was a big event uh, on TV where they did it. And one of my favorite parts in there was King Herod, when Jesus goes before Herod when he's being tried. 
And Herod is there in his luxurious poolside environment. And he's singing and he says to Jesus, he says, Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. He was seeking a sign. That whole scene there is him over and over, poetically asking Jesus to do things that will prove to him, to change water into wine or do something. I've heard of these things you've done. I need for you to do it so I can see it. Herod was a sensationalist. And churches today are filled with these kind of people. We're insatiable. An appetite for spiritual excitement, total lack of responsibility toward the Lord himself. The sad truth is that many believers are very fickle. That's why so many people hop from church to church to church, always looking for the newest style, the latest seminar, the most electrifying concert, most exciting presentation. American church, we are obsessed with that. And even those of us who aren't very good at it, you know, we sometimes buy into these things. I get, literally every week, hundreds of emails saying, if you will only try this in your church, your church will grow tenfold overnight. Your church will be the happiest church in town. Your people will be the most spiritual people the world has ever seen. If you only try this, click here. A long time ago, I stopped clicking. I hit the delete. I'm gone on that. We try it still. Every once in a while, buy into it. But it doesn't work this way. 40 days of this, 50 days of that. The irrefutable laws of how to be successful and find peace in your church. It never ends. Now, I'm not saying all of these things are bad. We do occasionally need to have a special emphasis focus in the church on something. But it's way too easy for church-going folk and their pastors to start chasing after the latest fad in the religious world and think that somehow that is going to shortcut the process of becoming like Jesus. Jesus did not come to give us endless spiritual highs. He came to give us a chance to know him. Look at the message Jesus gave to the materialists, the legalists, and the sensationalists that day. He said, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So then they said, sir, from now on, give us this bread. They were thinking he was still talking about their physical bread, about wonder bread. Not just eight or twelve, but maybe a thousand ways to grow us stronger. Give us that bread. It sounds like a real miracle bread there. And then Jesus says, well, I'm that bread. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hung- grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Tells us a lot, those responses about the people who were there and, and who we are today still. And it tells us in John 6, it says, At this, the Jews, when he said this, that he was the bread of life, they began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? How can he say, I am the bread of life? When you think about it, the people who saw Jesus that day were kind of like customers who were demanding that the store provide them with what they were paying for. Jesus, we're out here, we're waiting, give us what we come for. They wanted to do business with Jesus, the soup kitchen, Jesus, the cult leader, Jesus, the miracle worker. But Jesus, the bread of life, didn't resonate with them. It didn't play very well there, and it probably wouldn't play very well in Verona if Jesus came among us today. So they all walked away. 
It turns out that even some of his closest disciples wanted Jesus only for what they could get out of him. Occasionally in the Gospels, they'll say, where, where do I get to sit? You know, in that great feast when the kingdom of God is established, I want to be on your right hand. I want the special seat. And so it tells us from this time on, one of the saddest, saddest verses in all the Bible, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then that led to what is perhaps one of the most poignant moments in the Bible. Jesus was totally God, but he was totally human also. And he could feel what we feel. Can you imagine the rejection he felt as he saw the crowds which were in the thousands, Peter away, and and, and then in just a few moments, he was left with just his 12 original disciples. He experienced the pain of rejection, and especially those of whom, many of those, he had considered friends. Jesus turned to his 12 disciples with a question that must have been hard to ask. He said, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And then, thankfully, good old Peter came through. Occasionally, Peter did something right. And he spoke for the group, and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter understood what the crowds had missed. The apostles weren't there uh, to serve fish sandwiches or to start a Jewish revolt against Rome or to find a new list of rules to keep or to get in on the Jesus pep rally or to hold a big miracle crusade. They were there because they believed and knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the bread of life. All they needed was what they already had, Jesus himself. Is he all you need this morning as we approach Christmas? Is he your bread of life? If you had been there the day Jesus preached the bread of life sermon, would you have walked away? Chances are, the odds are, yes, many of us would have if we go by the people who were there that day. Or would you have echoed Peter's words, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. May our Christmas be filled with moments when we are filled with the bread of life who came into the world to seek you, to save you when we were lost. And amen. I pray as we we stand together and sing that uh, some of these words, go to John chapter 6, read through that again this afternoon, that they'll penetrate into us because there's some of that in each one of us, those three, three groups of people, all those who left, there's some of that in each one of us. And what better gift to give Christ this Christmas time and to say, yes, Lord, I want you to be my bread of life. Amen. Hope to uh, see everybody tomorrow evening at one of the worship services. We have a, a great problem at Al 7 is that, is that we think we're going to have far more people than we can hold over there. Don't let that keep you from coming. Be part of the, be part of the crowd that comes. And, uh, and when you come and, uh, and you're offered uh, the bread of life, uh, do not walk away. But allow Jesus Christ uh, tomorrow night to touch you uh, through the services, both over at the community center and here also. So uh, I pray that as we go forward this day, that we would go in the spirit of expectation. As we leave this season of Advent, may we go still expecting that God is going to do something wonderful in life, in our lives, when we read his word and when the bread of life dwells in us.
go forth in the peace of Jesus Christ and be blessed this holiday season. And amen.